And welcome back to another episode of the Athlete Ready Global Podcast. I am your host, Jared Saavedra. Today's special guest is Mr. Kyle Holloman. Kyle is the CEO and owner of Holloman GPS, and that stands for Golf Performance System. So obviously, Kyle works with a lot of golfers, as well as other uh, athletes and business executives. Kyle goes deep into his story and how he truly lives by the motto, get comfortable being uncomfortable, because he has been through multiple uncomfortable situations throughout his career. And to name a few, you know, having to start over multiple times in his career, moving from New York City, where he was very, you know, popular and really sought after starting over going to Atlanta, Georgia. And as of recent, he's gone from the big box commercial gyms here to starting his own brand. And that takes a lot of, of struggle. It takes a lot of courage to do so, especially this late in his career. If you know Kyle, you know he's one of those learners, lifelong learners. You know he loves to sharpen the sword and be around like-minded people. I think you're going to get a lot of nuggets from this. If you are not subscribed to the channel, make sure that you do. Hope you all enjoy the show. Hey everyone and welcome to season two of the Athlete Ready Global podcast. This season is going to be straight fire. It is not going to be limited to just strength conditioning coaches and fitness professionals, but we're going to have sport coaches on here, medical doctors, financial advisors, digital marketers, you name it, we'll probably have them on. I really believe that you're going to enjoy these next 10 episodes. Again, our goal is to help equip fitness and strength professionals in their careers in areas that promote career longevity, financial freedom, etc. As you know, the Athlete Ready Global podcast is powered by the online training software, Athlete Ready Global, which helps personal trainers and strength and conditioning coaches save more time, coach more people, build more freedom, and make more money. With nearly 400 business marketing and training resources and a deep exercise library, and also a ton of features that allow coaches and trainers to deliver world-class programming remotely, this platform has it all. Now, on to our next episode. And we are going. Kyle Holloman, thanks for joining me today, man. How are you doing? I'm well, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. A little technical difficulties, but we get, we got through it. <laughs> always something. <laughs> All right, man. For the listeners, uh, mm-hmm. tell them a little bit about yourself, man. You have a, an awesome background, tons of experience. How did yeah. it all start? Well, the funny thing is um, my f- story in fitness started actually uh, just on a complete whim. Like I was, I've, I've always, always, always been an athlete. From my youngest days, I played soccer growing up and then I got into track and baseball. Never really played football or anything like that, but I've always been active. And this one particular day, uh, I was trying to get into college for soccer. And that's one of the big things I was trying to do. Actually, track, excuse me. And... Uh, I walked onto the track team. Unfortunately, I got hurt in my first year, so I had to quit. Um, so I was, that was disappointing. And when I finally got out of college after not making a track team and got a job as, what was I doing? Oh, I was, I was a book editor, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was a book editor. And I went from book editing to book manufacturing in Manhattan at the Flatiron Building. And a lady who was I was working with, was actually, was actually leaving the job that I was in. She was a partner of mine in this particular job. And she goes, well, you know, I'm leaving. I was like, well, where are you going to? 
I'm going to be a personal trainer. I was like, personal trainer? What's that? It's <laughs> like, because I, I, I mean, this is ni- to, to 1999, 2009. I didn't know what training was. I mean, I know trainers in the sports-specific training as right. far as athletics, but not as in the gym. I, when I go to a gym, I never look at trainers. I'm always in there going for myself and working on myself. And I'm not worried about what someone has to say. I know what I'm doing, you know, the, know what I'm doing stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And we all think we know what we're doing when we're in our 20s, of course. Of course. Um, so I was like, personal training? Wow, what's that? So I looked it up and she told me about it. And I said, I get paid to beat people up? Wow, this is pretty oh, yeah. cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So I went now, I went and um got a job in is in New York City. So I got a job at New York Sports Club as a fresh green personal trainer, no experience, got my certification from ACE, uh, and I quickly learned that that one certification is not going to be enough. Right. And that was in the first month or two. I said to myself, you know what? I need more than just this little thing because the, the fact that people have so much orthopedic dysfunction, mm-hmm. and this is, in, this is in 2000. I said, you know, I got to further my education here because I cannot help the people I want to help with just this little piece of paper and no experience. Which is really cool because I don't think most people in their 20s especially would even – even consider that, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, and that's one thing that stood out to me that I had the forethought then to say, I need something more than just this. So I went and pursued, um, let's see, I went to, a, went to my first fitness conference in that, that fall in uh, the ECA, East Coast Alliance. And I went and saw Paul Check and got completely embarrassed by Paul Check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's a funny story because I thought I was big and bad. I was push, pushing like I was squatting over 400 pounds and deadlifting right around the same number and bench pressing a, a lot, like 350, two, two, 325, 350 for my size it was a lot of weight. And I went into this class and think, oh, yeah, I'm big. I'm a trainer. I've been doing this for almost a year now. And in about 30 seconds, he just broke me down. You have all you have this problem, that problem, that problem, that problem. This is why I can't squat. This is why I can't do this. This is why your shoulders are limited in external rotation. Da, da, da. I was like, oh, I felt naked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And slug to the chest there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I felt like, like wow, I need to go work on myself. Mm-hmm. And that's what those two experiences fueled my fire to pursue education more and to be a well-rounded trainer, not just pushing weight at people, but understanding the orthopedic dysfunction that people have. And on top of that, getting them to their goals. So that's what really shaped my early um, experience in training. Awesome. So you went from New York and then you moved to Atlanta. How long were you in New York training? And then how was that, that transition there to Atlanta? Oh, man, that was uh, different because I had built a really good clientele in, uh, in New York. Actually, when I was in New York, I started out as a trainer and went to a assistant fitness director, then became a fitness director for New York Sports Club, opened two clubs for New York Sports Club, um, revamped three programs for them as a manager. Wow. And then, yeah. And, yeah I didn't my know experience, that. Uh, my experience is very, very, I managed, uh, let's see, I managed one, I managed five clubs in New York Sports Club, and I was I opened two new facilities for New York Sports Club. One of which had the largest opening, two of which had the largest opening at the time, like 
we had a staff of like 12 people. And the first one I did was in Syosset. Our budget was 10000 We did $55,000 in revenue the first month. Yeah, blew it out of the water. It's crazy. The second, yeah, I, yeah I, was, I had my people hustling. I was like, we're going to make this work. And mm-hmm. the second one was, um, that was uh, wood, Woodmere? I think it was Woodmere. And that was, our budget was 22000 We did 68 Wow. Yeah, so. That's insane. Good for you, and man. Then, oh, it was great. And then coming from Atlanta, coming from New York to Atlanta, I went back to being a trainer. And I and, that, and at that point, I was like, you know what? I had to build this business all over again. And that was hard. You walk away from a business where you're making almost $100,000 a year to nothing and do it all over again. Mm-hmm. And that was hard. But I did it again after about a year and a half. Yeah. I mean, so for the listeners, uh, Kyle is obviously a super humble human being. And, you know, to go from where he was in New York, super established. And then, I mean, he's he's a very established trainer here in Atlanta. Um, tell them, you know, I think it's going to be super interesting to know about this is your transition from like the commercial setting, which you've mm-hmm. been in for the last for for however long, a long time. And then now, you know, kind of recently jump in and making that that leap of faith into the private sector. What have been some, you know, how has that transition been, one, and what were some of the, the challenges that you faced so far? Wow. Um, I've been in the commercial gyms for oof, almost 20 years, mm-hmm. and making the transition has been a learning experience and a big learning curve. Like, the big thing for me is having confidence in what you're doing to put it out for the world to see. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing, because I'm not a... I'm not a flashy person. I don't like to do a lot of stuff out here. I like to have control of my own little world. And I know what I'm doing. But the problem is when you put it out there for people to judge, all of a sudden you get uncomfortable. Like, I don't want people knowing that. I want people seeing that. And people start questioning everything you're doing. So you have to be prepared for... Now, did you did you question it because you were maybe scared to, you know, for just criticism it's maybe you, you you didn't know as much as you thought you knew or you just kind of just didn't want to show your your secret sauce no it's not that i don't know what i i don't know it's that i don't want to share my secret sauce because i know how okay. to get people and whatnot so it's more like do i give that part away of myself away or do i hold it back and the only way to grow a business is to give something away to draw people in by seeing value by, by, to add value to them so in that regard, I had to give up all those preconceived notions and had to get uncomfortable, as I like to say all the time. And I like to see that because I like to talk to coaches and trainers about that when they, you know, say, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not a marketing guy. I don't like to put myself out on social media. And I always ask those questions like, why? Because, you you know, you're super knowledgeable. Um, but if you don't put your stuff out there, people aren't going to know exactly what you do. And it's either that they don't want to give away their, you know, their secrets or that they, you know, they fear the criticism from other people. So, that's awesome that you can, you know, talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I, funny, funny thing is another thing about me most people don't know is that I actually was a, uh, I wrote poetry for a very long time, and I actually did some slams and I did some uh, some presentations. I ran a magazine in college, and so I got used to criticism. Mm-hmm. So if so, and especially if you're writing something and presenting it out to the world, you have to be ready to take criticism back. One hundred percent. So criticism was never my problem. My problem is I don't want to give away too much and have people take what I have and use it for the, to their own advantage. But then I said, you know what? In doing this business, 
I have to be willing to do the same thing that I'm telling people to do is get uncomfortable. You have to. So that's the big learning curve for me was that I needed to say to myself, I need to be able to take criticism and learn from it. And remember, not, not all criticism is bad. Sometimes right. it's good. Right. And sometimes you learn a lot more from that criticism than you would if you didn't get it. So we have to be humble enough to say, you know what? Someone may know more than me, and I have to be willing to listen, at least listen. So was there a specific moment that where you kind of changed that mentality, or is it just a little bit over time that you're like, you know what? I, I need to change kind of you know my ways here. I need to be able to project and add value to people's life. Was it just like uh, an instant situation, or was it just kind of you know the people around you over time that are telling you that you, you have a special gift and you should let people know about it? Well, actually, that's a good question because there's a couple of instances. Um, one was I took a course way, way back when, a self-development course called Landmark Education. And I did that course back in 2000, 2001-ish. And I realized, but one thing that, that drives me every day is that you never know who you're in front of and you never know what they're going through. So sometimes your attitude can improve their day or make their day worse. So I always took the, took the attitude that I'm going to try and make everyone's day better. No matter what mood I'm in, my job is to at least listen, listen to them and really listen, not just hear them, but really listen and, uh, and try and try to help them get to where they want to be. Um, let's say mentally, physically, what have you, but a lot of times it just starts with listening. Um, that was the first thing I took, and I, I applied that to every job and every instance I had in my life, just making sure that I am the positive influence if they have nothing else. Um, number one. Number two, when I moved to Atlanta, I was talking to this gentleman, and he's a TV producer, and, I, and he wanted me to do some show in, uh, I figured it was, it was a, she wanted me to go out for this show. And I was like, I don't know you from Adam. Who are you? So no, you have a gift. You're a special dude. You can motivate people just by you being you. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I can see that in you. You need to go out to L.A. And mind you, I just been in Atlanta like six months. So I'm like, I am not moving to L.A. right now. I just got here. <laughs> All right. right. And I was like, I just could. And unfortunately for me, it's an opportunity that I could not see at that time. But he said, no, you have something special and you need to bring it out to the world. And the third instance of that was um, like I hear it every, every week when I was teaching class at the, at the club concourse, uh, concourse athletic club. I hear it every week and people say, you know what? You're really good at what you do. You are excellent at what you do. You need to bring this to a bigger stage. And that's all just told me, you know what? I need to be living bigger than what I am. Man, awesome. So, yeah, that's, no, that's great. So with that transition, so if I was – you know, and I'm, and I'm getting a lot of messages from coaches and especially in the commercial setting. And they are a lot of them are fearful, especially after, you know, COVID and whatnot, that they want to be a little bit more in control of their destiny. If mm -hmm. I was coming to you asking for advice, if I was a, a trainer in a commercial gym and I wanted to have a little bit more control, what, what would be the steps? What would you tell me in order to make that a reality? And what are you know, what struggles you know, do you foresee for anyone trying to go off on their own? Um, well, there's several in, in that. Uh, the biggest thing is fear. Fear will stop you. And you need to just go ahead and get over it. 
fear is the one thing like that stops most people from achieving what they want to achieve in life. And like, I was afraid to move from New York to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I had to start all over in the business all over again, but I still did it. And it was one of the most rewarding things I, I've done. To leave where I was, was a fearful thing. But I said to myself, if I'm going to do this, I have to do it now. And I can't be afraid. And I'm going to have people support me. I have my wife and I have people around me who are supporting me. I have like people like you who are supporting me in my endeavors. So building a network around you is one of the biggest things that you, ha- that you can have mm-hmm. to, to make sure that you are getting on the right path, you're staying on the path that you want to be on. If, we're gonna, if you're going to succeed, you need to have the places, the people and things in place to succeed. So you make sure you have people around you who can help you succeed. And that means if somebody's not helping you succeed, you may have to cut them loose. And that's the way it is. And I hate to say that, but we all have to keep moving forward in life. And if something's holding you back, that's where change comes in. You got to be willing to change. You got to be willing to get uncomfortable and change. Um, one of the biggest things is I would say is make sure you have some kind of savings, something built up. And you're not just spent, you're not living beyond your means, especially in a transition period where you're going to know you're going to need something to fall back on. I was lucky to have that. So um, after years and years and years of working, I did have something to fall back on. Um, I had a lovely support of my wife and she's been great through this whole process. And I think that probably the biggest thing is networking and not being afraid to market. Network, network with other trainers, other uh, professionals. And marketing, 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 because no matter how you cut it, as a trainer, you are a salesperson, you are a marketer, period. There period. is no period. other way to be about it. I fought that for the first two and a half years of my career in fitness. I fought it. Even though I was still on the sales side, I still fought it because I don't like being a salesperson. I don't want to be that guy like, you know, uh, what's a What's the story that pressure market you like? So like used car salesman, used car salesman, like that <laughs> pressure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, but you know what I mean? So uh-huh. I just don't want to, I never want to be that guy, but then I end up after a while saying, you know what? I am that guy, but I have to be that guy in order to succeed. So now that makes it very simple. So uh-huh. I have to, you have to be uncomfortable and uncomfortable is where growth happens. Yeah. So, I mean, so when I think of you, when someone brings you up, that's probably the, the biggest thing I think about is getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And you've almost like, I, it's been used before, but that's like when I think about you for sure. Um, how else have you used that kind of motto and for yourself in your personal life and in your business? What are some other examples that you've kind of used that philosophy in? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, it can, it can be, it's in the gym every day working out. I mean, I just, I just try to do something uncomfortable. Like everybody hates burpees. I hate burpees, but guess what? I still do them because if they make me uncomfortable, that means I probably need to do more of it. Um, even doing my mobility stuff, stuff that I don't like doing probably means I need to do more of it. Um, so even though it hurts and it's like, it's taxing and I don't like doing it, I still do it. Because it's the uncomfortable thing that I grow from. It's an uncomfortable thing that you learn what's what's good and what's bad from. So I use it every day, probably. Um, I would say 
even even in even in, in married life, I get uncomfortable with a lot of things that my wife and I talk about having uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. And we do. Because those uncomfortable conversations we learn more about each other from. Um, I mean, I re we did a lot of uh of uh We've done a lot of stuff and traveling together, which again is uncomfortable. Like, uncomfortable going to Australia earlier this year, right before COVID hit. I at least I got that in before you know travel right. was restricted, and it was and it was and it was uncomfortable because I'd never been that far away from home. I mean, the other side of the world, literally the other side of the world, a twenty-hour flight for a once in maybe a once in a lifetime experience, and it's uncomfortable, but. Am I grateful for the chance? Absolutely. It was fantastic. So a lot of times the, the reward is being uncomfortable. The reward is going beyond where you think you can go. Because the, the biggest limiting factor that any of us has is what we think we can do as compared to what we can do. Like, uh, what's the, uh, the uh, I forget the, uh, the, the guy's name, but it's Life Under the Bar. And I think I like to use Dan John because he says, can you go? It's a mental side of things. We talk ourselves out uh-huh. of things so much in life. We talk our way out of this and that and the other. And the benefit a lot of times is just walking into it. And when we walk into that possibility, whatever it is, also you're like, oh, it's not that bad on the other side. Oh, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't that much sacrifice. Oh, it was actually easier than I thought it was going to be. So that's what getting uncomfortable means. A lot of times... It's all built up in our head, and we just get to push through it. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. Um, I mean, if you don't follow Kyle, you should definitely follow him on social media. And that's what I think is so cool to see, kind of your growth as far as, you know, your social media presence. You've given so much, you know, so many valuable tools on there, a lot of cool stories that people should definitely follow you. Other cool thing that I think about when I think about you is that, you know, you have, you started, you know, Holloman GPS, and it's around, it's surrounded, you know, around a sport that you hadn't had a ton of experience with prior to, not a, a ton. And now all of a sudden, like you're pretty much looked at as an expert with working with a lot of high performing golfers. Tell mm-hmm. us how that took place, how that even started. Well, funny thing is, uh, like my dad was an excellent golfer. He was fantastic. Uh-huh. Um, he should have been, he should have been pro way back in the early uh, mid to late fifties. So, but things being the U S at that time was not a good time for a oh, black man to be on the U S pro circuit. Cause it was I, had no one. Idea. I didn't yeah. know that. That's yeah. awesome. He was, he was very good. He, um, he was actually a caddy at one point for Beth Pay state park on Long Island where they, where they hosted the uh, U S open way, way back in the fifties and sixties. <clears throat> um, so once he, once he got married, he still played golf, what have you, and my, had my brothers and myself and a little later on. Uh, he played golf religiously every Sunday, Saturday or Sunday. And he religiously would beat his, would beat his friends and my, his twin brother, because I'm a twin. My father's a twin also. So, But he beat, he beat he all the – yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's a twin. It's, it's a whole long <laughs> sort of story. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm so – uh, he passed down the golf stuff to me and my brothers, and I never took it seriously. I mean, I played, but I didn't play. And when I moved to Atlanta, I realized that I could play like 11 months out of the year. This is freaking great. It's wonderful. Um, so I pursued and started to get better and better at golf and really taking it on. 
And then I realized after a while that I can I can actually get better at this and really start to take it on. So I went and got a golf certification from the Czech Institute and started working some a few golfers here and there and what have you. And then I realized, you know, the biggest problem with most golfers is they're immobile. They can't move. So it's not a matter of they, if they can do what the instructor, the PJ professor is doing. It's a matter is it's a matter of can their body do what the instructor is asking them, asking to do. And 99% of the time, they can't because they can't rotate their body the way he wants them to do. They can't get the club on plane because either there's a problem in wrist mobility or hip or shoulder or what have you that limits their limits them from being on plane and, and mm-hmm. moving in that direction. So I've now moved into more mobility and strength training for golf. And that has opened new avenues for me to work with more people. And what I do a lot of is I like to, I put them through a, um, a full body uh, assessment. Okay. So I'll use some of the FRC um, movement screens to see exact FRC movements to see exactly where they're limited at. So mm-hmm. I can get the idea of what to prescribe for them. So as they say, I have a lack of inter, uh, hip internal rotation. It tells me right away I need to work on the hip internal rotation. Normally, if there's hip internal rotation problems, I need to work on their lower back also on that side, and maybe even ankle dorsiflexion or external rotation of the uh, of external rotation of the knee. Maybe depends on what on what's going on. Um, and then also prescribe a lot of stuff to not just strengthen those the range of motion where they're where they're lacking, but also strengthen their body as far as be able to take the impact of the swing. Because a lot, because the swing, although it's only momentary, the swing actually lasts less than a second. But it's the amount of velocity that is generated that people need to understand that's impactful on the body. Right. So, so not just the ability to produce force, but also the ability to absorb it as well. Exactly. 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 So when you do work with golfers, like how much of their programming is, you know, strength based? How much? How? How open-minded are a lot of them? I know a lot since, you know, Tiger Woods came along, a lot of people's minds became a little bit more open to training and performance stuff that all the stuff that you're doing. Uh, So have you got any like pushback from kind of an older population of golfers when it comes to strength stuff or have they been just super just open-minded for you? Um, no, you get some pushback because some people don't believe Mm -hmm. in working, uh, working out, what have you. Like the thought process for a long time was that their um, the thought process for a long time was that their uh, what's it called they're going to get big and they're going to get too immobile and the truth is that's not that's not the case you can lift to be more mobile more and more and stronger without having to get bulky like if you want to be like a one of those uh, long drive champions, you're going to have to put some muscle on. You're going to have to train it very, very, very explosively, okay? And, but at the same time, they have to maintain the mobility because you can't bring a club around as far as they do without being to turn their torsos. You can't. There's no way. So that is a mindset that I think that people have to change because when Tiger Woods came around and you saw him working out and how flexible he was when he first came, came out and how strong he was, even though he wasn't a big guy. And then he started getting, as he got a little older, you know, he started getting a little bigger and he started showing that he's actually muscular. And then, and then you see someone like Rory McIlroy who works all the time or your uh, Bryson DeChambeau who put on 30, almost 30 pounds in almost 30 pounds, excuse me, 
in the offseason between 2018 and 2019. That's a huge difference. It's, and it is a huge it, difference. It's a huge difference, and it made a big difference in his game. So it's not to say it's not to say you have want to be like some big, huge dude running around a golf course, because among my friends that I play with, I'm the most muscular one out there. Am I best player? No, because right now I'm fighting my body. I'm trying to get my body to change in certain ways. So I'm fighting my body, but am I among the best players? Yes. Am I my top number one? No, but I'll be there soon. So it's a matter of men- mentally making that shift. And you get some pushback from people who who don't really accept the idea that golf can be physical in nature and can be and can be strong in golf. So it's a matter of changing the mindset. And again, a change mentality. Well, it's great that they have you to kind of educate them on that for sure. Uh, if there's any golfers listening to this podcast, how can they get a hold of you? How can they contact you? All that good stuff. Um, you can contact me through my website, uh, hollandgps.com. You can follow me at my Instagram at phoenixnoop one or or on Facebook at Kyle Holloman. Awesome. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> okay. And what services? I mean, you do personal training, you do small group training, and now you're on Athlete Ready Global with us uh, for our online training. Is there anything? What else? Is, is that all? Is that what you do currently? That's what I do currently. I actually do. Um, I do do online online training. Um, I can provide programs online. Um, I just recently starting a mobility class in two weeks. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, that's FRC Mobility. I'll be doing the Kin Stretch with that also. So that would be great. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that a lot and exploring what people will, results people see from that program because I think it's going to be fantastic. I'm working on it as we speak, um, getting the video shot ready for when I launch that. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, so to the listeners and everybody on YouTube, because this will be on YouTube as well, Kyle. Oh, cool. So we'll have we'll have both. Yeah, exactly. So that's why we're recording this on here. Um, but yeah, if you guys have any questions for Kyle, make sure you reach out to him. He's a great dude. He will get back to you as, as soon as he can, I'm sure. Kyle, thank you so much for your time today, man. I appreciate it. We'll be in, we'll be in touch again very, very soon. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right. All right, man. Thank you. Have a great right. day. You too.